Sometimes the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. Welcome to the back of the range. I am your host, Ben Adelberg, and this is episode 78. It is U.S. Open week. It cannot get any better than that. Oh, wait, it can because we're at Pebble Beach this year, which means the U.S. Open is in prime time on the East Coast. Are you kidding me? You know what that means? You can play golf during the day, you can watch golf on TV at night, and you don't miss a thing. And by the way, just a helpful tip for you guys out there, this would be a great time to get some flowers for the wife or the girlfriend because this is definitely a weekend that will test a relationship. Before we get to this week's episode, make sure you head over to our Instagram page right now. You can find it at the Back of the Range podcast. The reason I say that, we're running a giveaway. We're going to send a winner one of our new trucker hats, some golf tees, a towel, and a U.S. Open bag tag from our friends at the USGA and Seamus Golf. So make sure you enter the contest before the first round starts. Super easy. You just choose the guest of the Back of the Range that is going to finish highest at the U.S. Open. You have guys like Victor Hovland and Devin Bling, the U.S. Mid-Am champions, Kevin O'Connell, Stuart Hagestad, and Matt Parziali, as well as the new national champion, Brandon Wu, as well as Colin Morikawa. So you pick the winner there, enter the final score of the champion as a tiebreaker, and who knows, you might win some free swag from the back of the range. Before we get to this week's episode, I recorded some fantastic episodes last week. I cannot wait to bring them to you. Christopher Ventura former national champion at Oklahoma State. He just had a great finish at, at the web.com event. Also spoke with a great amateur named Mike Finster. He qualified for four U.S. Senior Opens in a row. Awesome guy, awesome stories. So a lot of great episodes coming your way. Don't forget to follow us on social media, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. All the information can be found at thebackoftherange.com. And as always, please continue to leave reviews in Apple Podcast. If you're on social media, post that review I'll go ahead and send you something for free, just my way of saying thank you for listening to the Back of the Range. So, this week, golf fans all over the world are watching the best players on the planet compete in the U.S. Open at Pebble Beach. You know who else is watching? A lot of professional golfers. Players on the PGA Tour are forced to watch from their couches just like the rest of us. So are players that play on the web or the Latin America Tour or in Canada. It's a tough road to make it to the PGA Tour and especially to play in majors. So while everyone's focusing on the elite players and listening to their pre-round interviews and their post-round wrap-ups, I thought it might be interesting to share an episode that reminds everyone just how hard it is to make it to the show. Our guest this week is Blair Hamilton, a native of Burlington, Ontario, Canada. Blair represented his country on the Canadian national team both as a men's amateur and as a junior. He was an All-American at the University of Houston, he's competed on the McKenzie Tour, and he currently plays on the Latin America Tour. We talked about his amateur days, grinding it out on the developmental tours, and he shared some incredible tales about what it really takes to make it and how this game can beat you down at times. This is an excellent episode for amateurs thinking about turning pro, guys that are chasing the dream on all the developmental tours all over the world, and it really puts things in perspective for us golf fans. For every Max Homa and Corey Connors that burst into the spotlight, there are guys like Blair Hamilton that are risking it all just to get a chance to compete on the PGA Tour. So let's get started. Blair, thanks for the time, and welcome to the Back of the Range. Blair, how you doing? 
Ben, I'm doing good, man. Thanks so much for having me on. You know, working on a few things, but uh, I'm, I'm glad to be chatting with you today. Well, we uh, I, I love the story of how we actually first connected. And, of course, this this only happens in 2019, or or I should say it only happens during the, uh, the, the social media era. I can't remember exactly when it was, but it's obviously right around the Waste Management Open time. You reach out on Instagram and um, I'll go ahead and let you tell the initial part of the story, then I'll jump in. So I think, uh, I think you know, Back to the Range podcast might have followed me on Instagram or something. And then I, I kept on seeing the, the little hits from uh, podcasts and I saw guys that I knew going on and I thought it was pretty cool. And, um, you know, I've taken an interest in the podcasts and uh, I like to talk. So flat out, I just kind of sent you a message out of the blue saying, hey, man, do you... Uh, do you have any interest in talking to a guy that's been playing on the Latin tour? And, um, I want to say this is, I don't know, maybe a day or two before the, the Monday qualifier for the waste, this, but, this uh, is the night before this is a Sunday night, the night before. And I'm like, hey, <laughs> the I, night before. it was the night before I'm like, yeah, dude, that'd be great. I, you know, I haven't had anyone on that's, uh, that's played the Latin America tour. And yeah, I'm like, you know, what's your schedule look like this, this coming week? And you're like, well, I got this whole, you know, we got the waste management. Uh, um, you know, I got the waste management Monday queue tomorrow. And I'm like, Oh, well shit, dude, stop talking to me. Go get some rest and good luck tomorrow. And, <laughs> and I'm like, all right, Mojo activated, which is, you know, any, anyone that's on the pod or has interest in the pod or supports the pod, we, we send good luck. And, and I'm like, all right, cool. And, Sure enough, I checked the scores the next day, and you just hang a 65 early, and it would have been lovely, but this wasn't even a Monday qualifier. It turned into a Monday-slash-Tuesday qualifier, didn't it? Yeah, you know what? So I think I was off in one of the first three or four groups, something like that, and um, yeah, I played pretty decent, put up a little 65, but when I come in, Max Holm has already shot 65. And I'm like, okay, well, there's like 120 guys in this field or something like that. Maybe 20 of us are in. So I got a hundred guys to, to wait out. So just kind of posted up in the clubhouse and, uh, you know, for whatever reason, it, it, it the 65 just kind of kept hanging in there, hanging in there, hanging in there. I think David Hearn came in kind of towards the, the early part of the afternoon wave, 65. So there's three of us, there's only three spots. And, um, you know, so I started kind of warming up, uh, later on in the day, kind of anticipating a, a playoff. Yeah. Uh, and then Nick, Nick Hardy came in in one of the last, uh, I, I don't know, maybe like five groups or something like that with a 65. So then, you know, there was four of us for three spots. And, um, so now we're looking at a for sure playoff. Um, nobody else came in lower, uh, but, by the time everybody had finished, it was too dark. So like, okay, guys, you know, meet back here. I think it was like 8 a.m. or something like that um, for a playoff Tuesday morning. So we go home uh, and, um, you know, sleep on the playoff, um, which I'd done that before, actually, in the USAM um, way back in like, 15, 16, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, we're going to talk about uh, that one. Yeah, that's another one I want to talk about. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, and... Uh, so anyway, so go to bed, wake up and yeah, honestly, the playoff wasn't, uh, anything too dramatic. Um, you know, Max, David and I, uh, all made par and, and Nick wound up making a bogey. So it only did go one hole. Um, 
you know, but that was a, that was a pretty cool moment. You know, all of a sudden you're going from, you know, sitting around the day before not knowing what's going to happen and then sleeping on a playoff, you know, pretty nervous, you know, and, uh, and then boom, you're, you're in the show and, and not just any tournament, you're in the waste management, which yeah, is you're in the, uh, you're in the craziest PGA tour event on the schedule and you get into that. Well, I definitely, yeah, wanna, yeah I definitely want to ask about that week and that experience and, and not just playing in a PGA tour event, which you've done in the past, um, and we'll explain how, how you were playing yeah. in previous PGA Tour events, but sure. I'm very fascinated on what what it actually looks like for, for a Monday qualifier and, um, you know, how different that is than just getting to a tournament as a regular card-carrying PGA Tour member where you can prep for it. So we're going to get into that. We're going to get into some uh, a lot of what's going on with you, but I wanted to, as we always do, give our listeners a little bit of backstory of how you got into the game, where you played your amateur golf, your junior golf. You mentioned Burlington, Ontario, Canada. Um, I wanted to hit on that. So, so briefly, talk to me about why you're playing golf and not playing hockey. Oh, that's terrible. Oh, I, I'm well, sorry, dude. That's if, awful. Why did I do if, that? If, if, if I'd had my way, I would have been playing hockey, but I was too small and didn't get didn't like getting hit so it's kind of a bad combination to be a hockey player yeah um, that doesn't work <laughs> it's not gonna it's not gonna pan out um but yeah so i got into the game when i was uh 11 years old uh my dad was a pilot growing up and the company he worked for at the time uh would send they had sister companies over in the uk so they'd send pilots to help each other out in the busy season so in the summer uh the canadian pilots would go over and uh you know, if you went for more than six weeks, family got to go over for a free visit. So, uh, I'm 11 years old, go over to Scotland, um, and just outside of Glasgow. And, uh, the place he was staying was right on a golf course, uh, old ran Furley is the name of the club. And, you know, when you're 11 years old and you're in a farm town of Scotland, surrounded by cows and a golf course, he, you know, really only have one option to do is go play golf and you know i'm a little kid want to hang out with dad so sure um that's what i did and uh you know naturally had a a bit of a knack for it um but you know my dad had taken me to the driving range when i was young but never really got into it i, I was i wanted to be in the nhl just like every other canadian kid <laughs> nice. um but uh you know so I go there and we actually did a trip to St. Andrews. We didn't play, but, you know, got the picture on the bridge and went to the old Tom Morris golf shop. And, uh, you know, honestly just fell in love with the game. I, I came back and, uh, my, my home golf course where I grew up playing is called hidden Lake golf club in Burlington. Okay. And they have this program called the Yogi program. So they would hire kids that were between, you know, 12 and 16, um, and what you would do is you'd work like two shifts a week. The shifts were like three or four hours long. You'd pick up range balls on the, on the driving range and change garbages and do all the stuff nobody really wants to do. Um, but that earned you a free junior membership. Uh, so I live five minutes door to door from Hidden Lake. So I just started playing all the time. And the nice thing about with that program was there's other kids to play with. So I was, you know, flash forward you know, from being 12, all of a sudden, you know, I'm, I guess actually, I'm only like 13 or I don't know. How old are you when you're in grade eight, 13, maybe? Yeah. Yeah. Something right. like that. Sure. Something like that. So, you know, I, I got my dad, he would wake up early, take me to the driving range. I would 
come back. He'd drop me off at school. I'd walk home uh, from school at lunch, open up a net, and to my mother's dismay, hit golf balls into a net in our living room, which every once in a while I'd you know, flash one right through and put a nice dent in the wall. She was not a fan of that. Probably not. But, uh, no, probably not. And then uh, I'd go back to school, come back. My mom would come home. Uh, you know, She works just down the road. She would drive me up to the golf course. I'd be there until dark. Someone would pick me up and I'd come home, go to bed and wake up early, go to the range again. So I was just, I was a golf nerd, really. <laughs> I just became, I became obsessed with the game. Um, so early on, I kind of got it in my mind that uh, I want to go to the U S on a, a golf scholarship. Um, and I got linked up with my coach now, Ralph Bauer, when I, I want to say 15, 14, 15, something like that. And, um, you know, he really helped me, uh, you know, take my game to the next level. You know, I'd had other coaches along the way, um, guys like John White, Frank Eason, um, and, uh, you know, they, they helped me out, but, but Ralph really helped take my game to the next level. And, uh, by the time I was 17, I, uh, earned my spot onto the Canadian junior team, which was a team of like four guys, the best four Canadian junior golfers. And, uh, got to go and play in the junior world cup in Japan and, um, playing some other pretty cool events, earned a golf scholarship to the university of Houston. Yeah. Um, which was, you know, which is awesome. You know, U of H has won 16 national championships. You know, historically, we are a absolute powerhouse golf program. Um, Dave Williams was the coach, and uh, you know, the, it was a pretty easy sell for me. They they brought me down from Canada to Houston in February, March. Took me to a nice steak dinner, showed me the PGA Tour golf course, offered me a scholarship. And, you know, how do you say no to that, yeah, right? I mean, um, well, I mean, also just, you know, I would imagine just coming down from Canada and seeing the weather, seeing the facilities, and and just changing your, your you know, changing your surroundings, uh, I, I would imagine just had to be a dream come true. What was kind of one of the culture shocks that you experienced coming from Canada to Houston? You know, I would say just a, a, a little bit of the Texas culture. I mean, first of all, I love Texas. Texas is a great place. People are amazing. Um, it's a little more buttoned up than Canada for sure. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I kind of, everyone kind of says, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am, et cetera, et cetera. In Canada, I mean, you call someone sir or ma'am and they're, they're like, what do you think I'm old? You know, it, it's <laughs> nice. a little different. It's a, it's a little bit of a different culture. Um, you know, I, I really think music will help shape a culture. So it's a pretty heavy country music, uh, influence in, in Texas in general, which is fine. You know, it's not my cup of tea, but it's fine and uh so i i think you know just the the whole southern i mean texas isn't like it is the south but texas is its own place you know it, it's oh, yeah. it's almost like it, it's like another country it's awesome but um it, it really took me i would say you know six months to kind of get established in uh the way things work you know um everyone has a little bit different mindset than, than Canada. I mean, Texas and Canada are pretty far apart, but once I got my feet on the ground, uh, you know, kind of maybe second semester, my freshman year, um, in large part, thanks to, uh, the coaches, you know, Chris Hill, uh, he was a Canadian that our assistant coach at the time. So he, he knew what I was going through and he was pretty hard on me, but I needed it. And, uh, you know, it, it, it was good for me. Sure. Um, 
Um, I honestly, I didn't play a ton my first two years. One, because we were pretty good. I think my sophomore year, we wound up being ranked eighth. Um, yeah, something kind of happened. I, I, I remember I went to the Jones cup in, uh, I'll say maybe Island, 20, right? yeah, that place is a bear ocean forest, man. What a great, great golf course, great tournament. Um, and just got my lunch handed to me, like played so bad. It was a joke. I think I probably beat like three people. And I, and my college coach, uh, picked me up from the airport and I just looked at him like, dude, like I got to get better. This is a joke. Like I can't beat anybody. So we, uh, we spent, you know, a couple months working really, really hard and, and changing a few things in my golf game and my, my setup and, and, uh, you know, that semester I won a couple times, um, I won the Border Olympics, which was my first college win, and then uh, I won uh, NCAA regionals in uh, Lubbock, Texas. Yep. Um, which uh, which was cool. I wound up being an All American that uh, that year, my junior year, and um, had a pretty decent summer. Some some good amateur finishes, and wound up playing in the Canadian Open um, and and tying for low amateur there. So it was, it was a big learning experience through college. And then my, my senior year, I kept on playing all right. And, um, I was part of the uh, Canadian men's amateur team at that point. The first year, there was only two of us on it. Austin Conley and myself started out with Corey Connors on it, but he turned pro right after, uh, playing the masters and, uh, yeah, you know, kind of all through college. And then that, you know, being part of the, the Canadian G- or men's team, you know, led me into being a professional. I turned pro in, uh, 2016. Uh, I went to Q school for the first time and it's been about two and a half years now of, uh, playing professional golf. Grinding away. Yeah, exactly. So let me back up and hit on a couple of things. I'm very curious. You mentioned you, you go play the Jones cup and, and for lack of better term, you, you kind of hit rock bottom and go to your coach and you guys work on changing things. Just to kind of communicate that to listeners that are trying to work on their game, trying to get better, how deep did you go in rebuilding your swing? And and what was that process like as far as, is it all playing? Is it practicing? Is it drills? Like you're, you're a scholarship player and then you're, you scrap things. Like what did that look like? And, and what were some of the, the routines and, and practice schedules that you were on to kind of rebuild your game and your confidence yeah you know it's not like we pulled out the shotgun and just blew it up and started <laughs> right. fresh you know um you know i had some things in my setup you know if we're gonna get technical like my right arm was super hyper extended and it got me closed and i would just hit these beat down pull cuts and i was really like a one-dimensional player and you know if i went to a golf course where you could hit a sweet very steep beat down pull cut, you know, I could compete and, you know, my short game was good enough. I could make some birdies. And if I got hot, you know, I'd probably play pretty good, but God forbid we go to a dog leg left with a tree off the tee. I mean, I'm shaking in my boots. Like, what do you do then? Um, so, you know, kind of going to a place like ocean forest made me realize, okay, I need to be able to hit the ball both ways. I've got to be able to hit, you know, shots that start on line and and hold their line and uh you know uh coach dismuke and and ralph bauer we kind of were like okay so 
where are we now? Looked at a lot of video and then kind of stacked it up against some of the best players in the world, some of the best ball strikers, and said, okay, what am I doing? What are they doing? What do I have to change to get to that point? And, you know, we just, we flat out devised a plan, and it was, you know, I'd get up early. I'd, I'd be at practice before other guys. And, um, you know, I'd spend the first, you know, 45 minutes in, in a lesson with my coach. And then I would, you know, carry that on into practice and um, really kind of just getting the basics of the swing solid. Sure. You know, if you're a golfer, you got to have good fundamentals, no matter who you are. I mean, all the best players in the world have really solid fundamentals. You can't get around it. Um you know, and, and if, if you're a little off with that, it's just going to be an unstable base for building a, a swing around. So, um, so you basically you knew know. you just kind of came to the point like, all right, I might be able to scrape it around in college, but at some point I have to get a lot better if I want to get to where I want to go. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. And we had the benefit of, uh, you know, we, the Houston open the shell Houston open at the time anyways, um, was at our home golf course. So we had the benefit every year of, of having the best players come in. Cause at, you know, during that time it was the week before the masters. Of course. So, yeah. That was, know, they, ev- that whole everybody was... wants to play. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, you, you got to see how those guys played your home golf course and how you played it. Now to be fair, the golf course played completely differently. You know, when they were there, it was super firm and guys are hitting balls where you never get to, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, you, you could just see the differences and, and it was, it was eye opening, but you know, one of the, the best things that could have happened really, because it inspired me to be better. And then you just realize, like, damn, I got to work a lot harder to, to get there. Oh yeah. And, uh, kind of lit a fire underneath me. So that was cool. Yeah. Well, you mentioned playing the Canadian amateur team. You got to play the, the RBC Canadian open a couple of times. Um, before I, I kind of pivot towards what you're doing now and trying to get yourself onto the PGA Tour full-time, I, I think anyone that follows amateur golf that knows that, uh, you know, there's two rounds of stroke play at the U.S. Amateur, and, and then it kind of dissolves into the top 64 that then go to match play. Uh, you know, just like college basketball, you know, you, you, know, you win, you move on, you're, you lose, you're out, and just it's a knockout stage, you get to the final two. Um, but it never ends up where you have 64 players that finish in these top 64 spots. And then off we go to match play. There's always a playoff. Now, sometimes it's a, uh, it's an easy one. Maybe it's a, you know, it's a, you know, 16 for, for 11 spots, something where the the odds are kind of in your favor that you're going to make it. But uh, there are some times where it's just absolutely, uh, lopsided and you were in, uh, let's see. So you, you've played in multiple us amateurs, but in 2016 at Oakland Hills, you were in one of these playoffs. It was a 23 for eight and looking at some of the names in that playoff or names that a lot of listeners will recognize, whether it's Maverick McNeely, former, uh, you know, number one amateur in the world or, uh, Scott Harvey, uh, one of our recent guests on the podcast or Stuart Hagestad, another recent guest on the podcast, both us mid amateur champions. You get into this, I believe plus two was the number. What uh, what is that like the night before? And then how does that just you know structurally and logistically? How does that playoff happen? Yeah, so I guess the night before you're, I mean you know the situation you're in. Um, you pretty much you, you got to make a birdie, and um, I guess they told us it was going to be on the tenth hole. 
of the alternate course. I can't remember if it's the north or the south, um, but it, it was a par three. And so, you know, really, you're just kind of getting your psyched up, yourself psyched up to be like, okay, well, I know what I need to do, so I'm just going to go do it. Um, and, you know, I did I sleep great that night? You know, probably not amazing. But um, you show up and you do your full routine. And, and they, I believe we went off in foursomes. Um, and, you know... <laughs> the driving range is right beside the tee there. So you could just see everybody's shot and some guys are hooking it in the bunker. Some guys are hitting it close. Some guys are, you know, whatever, hitting a mediocre shot. And, um, so I remember going there, getting, uh, getting the distance. And I think it was like 170 something yards or whatever, whatever it was, it was an eight iron. And, uh, I just, I was practicing that shot on the range over and over and over again. And then it, it came time and the pin was in the back left there, but, uh, I was playing with another guy. He gets up there and he hits it, you know, probably like somewhere between six to 10 feet. So I'm like, okay, well, I just saw a nice shot in there. I'm like, all right, screw it. I'm just going to bust this thing right at it. I'm going to make two. I'm going to get out of here. I don't want to stick around and have to, you know, dick around with playing more holes or whatever. I, I, I want to go back to bed. So, I just, I got up there and, and, uh, hit it to like, I don't know, five feet or something like that. Uh, buddy from Vanderbilt gets in there, knocks his putt in, throws a nice fist pump. So I'm like, all right, sick. I gotta, you know, I gotta top that. And, uh, hung in there, hit, you know, knocked down my little left to righter, threw a little hammer fist pump and went right back to bed. It was, uh, you know, it was a pretty cool experience because you're right. There was a lot of good players in there. Um, you know, I've gotten to know Maverick McNeely. Uh, a little bit and uh you know he's another former hockey player by the way oh yeah he grew up one he wanted to play in the show too but uh you know not all dreams come true eh, amf but (laughs) what do you do i mean the thing is when you're battling for the final seat you know you're going to get some player that's playing great so i drew john oda in the first round and uh i mean he probably finished like you know, top five or something like that. And stroke plays obviously playing great. Oakland Hills is an unbelievably good golf course, by the way. But yeah, you know, that was a cool day. I actually aced the ninth hole in match play there. Um, you know, it was right in front of the clubhouse. That was, that's probably one of my favorite golfing memories. Um, you know, nine's pretty iconic hole. I mean, we were playing it from the up deck, but, um, you know, I, I knock it in for an ace and everyone starts chanting go Leafs go when you're in Detroit, which, nice. you know, isn't really a thing. And then John Acker gets up there and hits it to a foot and you're like, nice shot, but you know, on we go. Um, the, the whole playoff deal, you know, I think when, when you're in that scenario, you, you just gotta be, okay, I'm not going to outlast people here by making a bunch of pars. I need to go make something happen. I got to hit one close and, um, Absolutely. I'm glad you're able to recount that story because I, I see those all the time. I think a lot of people see those and just curious how those things happen and what is the mindset going into a playoff like that. But you, you can you bring your amateur career to a to a close. And, you know, like you said, you know, played solid at Houston, um, you know, had some wins, uh, All-American. Uh, when did you kind of start formulating your plan of your venture into professional golf? Cause as many people know, there's all different directions you can go. You can, 
you know, go to Q school, you can go over to Europe, you can play these other tours. You can, there, there's plenty of different directions. Some are, you know, who's to say which one's right, which one's wrong. It all depends on what fits for you. But when did you start putting together your plan to turn professional and how did you originally start? I knew all through college that I was going to turn pro. You know, I, I always thought to myself, okay, I've put this much time into it. Uh, you know, I owe it to myself to give it a shot because if I don't, I'm going to regret it the rest of my life. But if you'd asked me, you know, come senior year, like, oh, Blair, what's what's your pro career path going to look like? Oh, I'm going to waltz through Q school, you know, probably win it, get onto <laughs> the web, you know, probably win a couple times, maybe even get, you know, right up to the PGA tour right away, go make millions of dollars and life's going to be good. You know, I just, I had this, this path in my mind that, you know, it was just, I guess, you know, I I didn't realize how, how good, first of all, everybody is, you know, because everybody in professional golf is good. Right. You know, there's, there's only 156 jobs. I mean, let's, you know, there's probably what, 200, something guys with status, but only 156 guys teed up every week. And there's probably like realistically guys that could, that could play out there. There's probably less than a thousand, you know, that, that could do it, you know, day in, day out have like, you know, these guys are going to the tour. Um, so, you know, but then there's, there's, you know, thousands of guys trying to do it and when they play well golf's a game it's you know if you're playing well you can beat anybody right so you know there's there's a lot a lot of good players out there um so i guess you know when i was unsuccessful at uh my first web.com q school uh i kind of had to take a step back and be like okay what am i going to do now um you know, where am I going to live, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, I decided, okay, I'm going to go to PGA tour Canada Q school. That would have been in the spring of 17, maybe. And, uh, I got some status there and got into the first event, and, uh, top 20 into the next event. And then kind of, you know, at that point, you know, I was in for the rest of the season. So I played full season out there. Um, didn't really play any good. I mean, I had a chance to win in Ottawa, um, I played with Kramer Hickok in the final round when he was having a, a pretty deadly season up there. Um, and then, you know, I, I didn't keep my card. So, uh, I kind of had to step back again and be like, okay, now what am I going to wait on Canada again for next year? So then I decided, all right, you know, what are the other options? You know, you can sure. go to China, you can go to Europe, you can go to Latin America, you know, for whatever reason, Latin America just kind of stuck out. I studied Spanish a little bit in, uh, in university. So I, I, I've got, I've got the basics, you know, I can, I can get around with a little bit of Spanish. And so I went down to Q school in Bogota, Colombia, which is one of the most beautiful places in the world, by the way, I think everybody sees Narcos and they're like, Oh my gosh, I'm not going to Colombia. But then you actually get down there and you're like, wow, this place is unbelievable. It's beautiful. Everybody's friendly. Like it's like where I was, was completely safe. I never felt like I was in danger. What a great place. I love Bogota. Uh, I finished uh, second in Q school there, um, which got me full status. Then by playing out there, uh, you know, I played good enough 
to parlay that into some Canada status because it's like uh, you earn. St- I went to Q school as well. I got some. It was like top twenty-five on the uh, uh, Latin Order of Merit at that point, which got you another type of status on Canada. So I, I played a few events out there. I guess that was last summer. It, there's the the path to to pro golf. It, it could literally be anywhere because. You know, I've got buddies that are over in China now playing that you never thought would go over there. Or, um, guys playing on the Challenge Tour or over in Asia. And there's just so many different places to go. And, you know, is one better than the other? I don't know. That's really up for debate. Um, what's the path to the PGA Tour via the Web.com Tour? How do you get to the Web.com Tour? Canada, China, Latin America. So it all so, kind of filters down where where there's many different ways to do it. But ultimately it kind of feels like you're just kind of finding a place to keep your game sharp when it comes time for you to do web Q school. Is that, is that pretty much correct? Cause you're not, you're yeah, not making I, money. I, I'm assuming you're not making really anything on any of these tours. It's literally just, can I stay afloat for another year until it's time for the direct path, which is web Q school. Yeah, man. I mean, like the, the, blunt truth of it is the vast majority of guys playing on the developmental tours, they're just broke and, and trying to keep their head above water. You know, there's going to be guys that got some nice sponsorship money and then parlayed that by playing well. And, and, you know, you can definitely make some money for sure. You know, especially on the mini tours, you know, there's avenues to, to make a little bit of money, et cetera, but nobody is rich by any means. Right. Like it, it, everybody kind of has this image of a pro golfer, you know, it's so sexy. They see, you know, guys in the GQ magazine, guys like Rory and Tiger. And I mean, you know, for sure, if you're in the top 25 in the world or even like, you know, keeping your card on the PGA tour, you're making, you're making bank, no doubt, but they don't see the years and years of grinding, eating peanut butter sandwiches and, uh, you know, just trying to make rent before that you know it's um and you're right when you say you're just kind of trying to stay afloat stay afloat stay afloat until you know you get your opportunity and and the thing with golf is things can change so fast like uh you know what what if you monday qualify and do a pga tour event top 10 boom all of a sudden you've just made a hundred and something thousand and you're into the next week what if you play decent there boom all of a sudden you've made enough fedex points to the to get into web finals. What if you play all right there, then boom, you're right on the PGA tour. So things can happen really, really quickly in pro golf. It's not like, you know, minor league baseball or something like that, where you're kind of in the system. Be like, okay, we're going to get two years in double a year in triple a, and then maybe you'll get called up. It's, you know, things can change quickly. Anyone that follows golf knows, uh, knows recently Max Homa. And then, you know, right before, you know, right before the Masters, uh, Corey Connors. You know, another another Canadian that literally, you know, yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, that's that's incredible. Um, can you make it as a professional golfer if you are not one hundred percent all in and this is all you want to do in life? No, it, it's it's too difficult, man. Like when you're when you're trying to get to the PGA Tour, more than likely there's going to be much more lows than there are highs, and what's going to carry you through those lows is, you know, you know, for me, it's my faith. Uh, it, but also just your, your belief that that's what you're supposed to be doing. 
if you if you're dipping your toe in something else and like I, a lot of times I'll meet some guys that are like yeah you know I'm just gonna try out pro golf for a few years and see what happens it's like buddy save your money like you're gonna have to beat guys like me and guys in my position where we're all in like you're not gonna beat us because we we need it more than you do right and uh, I mean may, maybe I'm wrong I don't think I am I haven't met too many guys that uh, have made it that haven't been a hundred percent in on pro golf but um, it's got to be something you give your your whole life to and that means sacrificing a lot of things sacrificing relationships sacrificing you know things that you do the putting in the 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 work that nobody else wants to do, you know, you, you've got to put in that work. And, uh, what, what are some, what is a, if, if someone's coming up to you that since their first year on the Latin America tour, or you, or you, you bump into a young, younger guy at a mini tour event and you kind of sense that they are not completely committed. Is there maybe a go-to anecdote or some story that you could share with them about what your life is like that you know would give them pause that you purposely hold back because you don't want to crush some guy's dream? You know, it was funny. So I played in U.S. Open uh, locals uh, about a, like a week ago, I guess. Yeah. I don't even know what the day is. But so I'm playing with these two guys. Um, one guy is a pretty good player at University of Oklahoma. The other guy, um, really nice guy. Uh, he played college golf, and he, he, he told me he didn't really have uh, much aspirations past college golf, which is totally fine. You know, to, you know, you go to college, you get an education, you get to play some golf and yada, yada, yada. But I was kind of telling them like, okay, well boys, this is what my last weeks looked like. I was in Cordoba, Argentina. So, you know, it's fly from Cordoba to Buenos Aires. Then, you know, hop on a plane for 12 hours, Buenos Aires to Dallas. Then I had to fly from Dallas to Phoenix and so that's all from Monday to Tuesday. I land at 7 a.m. Tuesday. I pack up my place on Tuesday, you know, pack up my room, move out, drive my ass off to Amarillo, Texas, you know, 10 and a half hours, hop out of the car, get in at like, you know, 10 p.m., go play this tournament blind, shoot 69, miss by a couple get in the car, drive 25 hours back up to Canada from there. So that's a, that's a grand total of 35 hours, especially okay. by yourself. So yeah. going crazy, get back, you know, sign up for a mini tour event, you know, show, hit a bucket of balls on Saturday, go out, play this golf course, half blind. You know, I got there the day before and, um, drove around and, and saw it a little bit and, and played two days. And, you know, it, it's just a constant, moving pieces you know there, there's so much more than just playing golf you've got to you've got to be super dedicated to want to do it if you don't have that internal drive that that laser vision focus that okay this is what i'm doing it's not going to work out for you bud yeah. and uh but uh, you know guys learn pretty quick you know whether it's they play with somebody that's just flat out really good and they say, Ooh, I don't have that. Or, or they struggle enough or they're losing a ton of money, et cetera. Um, if, if you're a competitor, you love the grind, you love to work hard. Uh, you don't mind getting kicked in the face a little bit by the game, you know, then maybe you have a chance, but if you, if you're looking for a cushy life, uh, pro golf, uh, probably not for you, bud. I'm sure you have tons of them, but let's just see if you can 
pick one. Give me a horror story about a Latin America tour. I mean, just share your, your ridiculous travel you just went through the last week or two. But um, you've played all over Latin America. You have the language barrier. You have the currency barrier. You have lodging issues, transportation issues, course conditions, all that stuff. Pick one. I'm sure you have plenty. But give me the, of anyone thinking about it and they wanted to see what the life is really like, give me a story from the Latin America tour. And then we're going to tell a good story about the the waste management. We're going to get we're going to go from this to the to the show. So we're going to go that we're going to show a little bit of the the dark side. Then we're going to go really to the to the you know the, the luxury side. Yeah. Okay. I feel like um, we're scaring people into golf right now. It's like don't play golf, dude. Are you sure you want to play yeah, pro golf? Yeah. Kid? Come on. Like, yeah, welcome to the show, boy. I hate to like discourage people, but like. <laughs> Mind, man. Like, uh, no, but but I not, think but the thing is, is no, but Blair, like the the reason that that I really wanted to talk to you and I really wanted you on the podcast is because, you know, for you know, like Corey Connors, okay, they're seeing the Monday that that he that he he Mondayed into the uh, to the Texas Open, and they're seeing the 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 great story and seeing him play the Masters and all that great stuff, but. I want to really, you know, everyone sees that. I want to kind of focus on like, you know, like next year you can be the next Max Homa or Corey Connors. And when they see yeah. you Mondaying into a tournament and, and seeing great success, I mean, that's going to be you next year, but I'd like to be, to show what it takes to get to that point and how you have to stay mentally tough to the point where you're like, you know, wow, this is what I had to do. You know, it's cool. Like I, I've known Corey for quite a long time. Um, just growing up playing junior golf against him, you know, we've been friends for a while. Um, and that guy's worked extremely, extremely hard. You know, he, he's been very good for a long time. I mean, he won the world junior, you know, before even going to Kent state and had a pretty dang good career. And it, you know, it's really cool to see that. Um, I guess going back to, to Latin America tour, some of the, I guess it's kind of a, it's kind of a funny story. Um, but I guess in Latin America, you get what you pay for, right? Like if you're looking at an Airbnb that's like 40 bucks and, you know, looks good online or whatever, you know, maybe, just maybe, it's it's a little too good to be true. So uh, we were in Costa Rica, which where we were at, it was so gorgeous. Like just what an unbelievable time. Um, and we're at the beach. I was staying at the resort. There's a few people staying at, uh, an Airbnb and there's a, a group of us that were at the beach and we go back to their place. And this girl, she hops in the shower and, uh, you know, I, I'm kind of waiting on her to, to get, I had to get into the bathroom or whatever. And, uh, and so she gets out and she goes into her room and I'm, I'm in the bathroom and I, I hear this absolute shriek, like, like just terror. I'm like, Oh, what's going on out there? You know? So I get out and uh, you know, we all kind of rush into the room and she's standing there. just got nothing on and she's holding her finger and, and she's like, I got bit by something. I'm like, what? I'm like, okay, first of all, you know, cover yourself up. And, uh, and she's like, I got stung by a scorpion. Like what? What? So I guess some scorpion had like crawled into her towel and <laughs> stung her. And so I, I'm tasked with the job to, okay, find this scorpion and kill it. You know, this is, this is exactly what I want to do. 
And uh, did you use a six so iron for that or seven iron? I I, I used a uh, foot. I oh, just oh, stomped wow. the okay. stomped it right out. Just foot, like an absolute the, alpha male, you know. The old foot wrench. Okay, no problem. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so I've got this picture of this, and it, it really it wasn't a big scorpion. It was probably like only the you know inch or whatever the size between you know a, a knuckle on your finger or something like that. Um, but you know, it was the first time I'd seen that. So now. We we're like, okay, sweet. She just got stung by a scorpion. Like, wh- what do we do now? Like, was it a poison scorpion? I don't know. So you get on Google and you're trying to like find pictures of what the scorpion looks like. You're like, do we need to take her to a hospital? Like, what do we do? And we wound up going over to like this store, uh, this like convenience store or whatever. And I took a picture of it. I'm like, hey, d- like, is this scorpion dangerous? And the oh lady working there was like, no, no, she'll be fine, whatever. So I'm like, all right, sweet. I'm out of here. Like, take care. And uh, I'm pretty sure she wound up being all right. Um, she definitely did. She's totally fine. She's wow. totally fine, everybody. Uh, and I went back to my nice cushy resort, and, you know, there was no worries of, of scorpions or anything like that. But, you know, to me, I looked at that. I'm like, okay, like, if it's going to cost me an extra, you know, whatever, 50 bucks a night, but I know – something like that's not going to happen, that is worth it. Yeah, so, I would say so. You know, that's kind of my, my funny story. I mean, another time, like, my flights got all messed up in, in Quito, Ecuador, and uh, I didn't wind up getting in to town until, like, Wednesday at 2 o'clock. And, you know, you're playing 8,000 feet, one of the hardest courses of the year. It's, you know, super tight. And I think I played, like, seven holes in a practice round with, like, three different caddies. And uh, I wound up finishing second that week. So that was kind of cool. You never know when a good week's going to happen. I think I showed up with like no expectation. I was just kind of happy to be there. But yeah, you know, the travel can get hectic and uh, I mean, you never know when you get stung by a scorpion. So you, you mentioned, you know, the, 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 you know, setting expectations, you know, you didn't have many going into that term and keto ended up playing well. Uh, as we, as we stated earlier in the episode, you, you, you Mondayed into to this year's waste management open and, you know, every week someone's going to Monday in, uh, you know, you got to shoot super low number. But I, I don't think people truly understand, okay, great, you're in the tournament. And I think it, it further, you know, I hate to keep going back and forth on, uh, on you know, mentioning dropping the name Corey Connors. But for you to Monday and then win a tournament, um, you've played in the Canadian Open before, knowing you're going to be in it as a member uh, of, of the, you know, Canadian uh, amateur team. What is the kind of expect or the the experience playing in a PGA Tour event after you Monday qualify in? How much are you behind the eight ball in that situation? Definitely okay. So if you're in the tournament and you can show up Monday morning and go out and play nine or eighteen, and then Tuesday either play nine or eighteen, you kind of set your schedule how you want to prepare. And then if you're not in the pro am on Wednesday, it's just like a little practice day, and it's kind of. Um, you know, you, you just you, you do what you like and you prepare the way you want. Uh, when you play the Monday, you know, there's the the whole, you know, the adrenaline high and, and whatnot to, to actually getting in. And then in my case, you know, I had to play again on Tuesday. Yeah. Um, so by the time I got out to the, the golf course there, uh, you know, get registered, get your car or whatever, because you had to have a car to get in and out of the parking lot because it's just a gong show. Um, it, uh, you know, it wasn't until 
just after midday uh, that I uh, I got to to get on the golf course. And by that point, you're behind everybody, and the sun. It's still early in the year, so the sun's going down, and so I only got to play like 12 holes in the practice round, which isn't ideal if you're trying to see a PGA Tour style golf course and then yeah. prepare. But um, you know, that's just kind of the way it is, right? So, like, if, if you're in the tournament, you kind of set your schedule, and you're like, okay, I'm gonna get out there and, and, and learn this golf course. Maybe your caddy walks around for an additional nine or whatever versus, you know, when you're just in at the last minute and you're trying to figure out, okay, where do I go? Where's my locker? You know, all, all those little, little hoops you got to jump through. Um, you're definitely behind the eight ball, no doubt about it. But at the same time, you're kind of fired up to be there. So you don't, care as much um but it, it, in terms of preparation it's it's not ideal um and you know there really is like the like to, to see what Corey did by you know monday qualifying and then uh i don't know if he had to play tuesday or not but uh you know get out maybe zip around the golf course one time i don't know if he'd ever played it and not going to be in the pro on wednesday and then get out and keep playing well um, you know, just, just dealing with the, the emotional roller coaster of, okay. Cause I think he was in like a six for one playoff or something like that. Um, to get through that, yeah, it's, uh, you know, to, to refocus and be like, okay, I got a job to do. Um, you know, it's pretty impressive to see. And, and, uh, you, you know, I think, um, when you're, when you show up on, on Tuesday afternoon, you're definitely behind the eight ball, but, um, I guess it's better to be behind the eight ball than not on the table at all. You know, at that point, are you, are, are you there in the mindset of, I got to make something happen this week. This is a, what, this is a very, you know, you never know when this opportunity is going to come back again. I need to, to really kind of go after it. Or are you looking at it as, Hey, I, I'm fortunate to be here. Let me just soak it in. Um, any future experience or, or, you know, this will be a future learning experience for me. Like, yeah. Um, so I would say when I, when I got there, I was like, okay, a, let's make something happen this week because you're right. Those opportunities don't come around very often and uh, Monday qualifying is very difficult. Um, so I, I showed up with the, the mentality of, of I, I really want to play well and I want to compete. And I right. know I'm good enough to compete at this level. <laughs> and then, you know, come, you know, the, the back nine of the second round when I wasn't really playing that good, then it kind of shifted. Okay. All right. What, what can I learn here? I mean, it's not like you gave, like you give up on it by any means. Like that's just not in my DNA. I don't do that. Um, I think I did a good job really reflecting after the tournament and be like, okay, why is, why are these guys here? And I'm here. Uh, why, what's making the difference? And, you know, I think a lot of it when you're, when you've been on the PGA tour for a couple of years and it's just another, another day on the job, um, you don't notice as much stuff, you know, I think for me, when I was out there, I mean, the, the crowds are crazy. I mean, crazy in a good way. Uh, you've got to love it. If you, if you can't, if you don't like that environment at the waste management, man, like pack it in, go home. Yeah. Um, job's not for you. But I think, you know, when I looked back on it, I saw how 
I was distracted by outside sources, you know, the things going on kind of got into, I, I couldn't quite be mentally present. So what I did to kind of fix that is I went and did this crazy 10 day silent meditation retreat, which is yeah. it's called, yeah, it's called Vipassana. Basically, uh, and you where, go, and where was, and where was this? Where was this? So they have Vipassana centers all across the world, really. Um, where I went, I went up in Alberta. Um, this place is like three hours uh, east of Calgary. So you're going out towards Saskatchewan in the middle of nowhere. Um, Goodyear, I think it was called. Yeah. Anyways. Um, but the, the whole deal was to to really, you know, disassociate from your ego, you know, which ego is kind of like a false sense of self and, um, be able to be mentally present and, you know, meditation. I mean, if you, if you look at the research on it, it is one of the best ways to a, you know, calm the mind and, and empty the mind, but also to, to be present and, and see things for how they really are, not as you would like them to be, I guess. Okay. And, it, uh, it, I mean, this, this 10 day deal I did was, you know, you'd wake up at four 30, meditate from four 30 to six 30, you know, then there'd be like a, a breakfast and a little nap. And then you do another, you know, meditation sitting from seven to eight and then one from eight to 11. And, you know, it wound up what the, the schedule was, you would meditate for 10 hours a day and you're in this group in the, in the, meditation hall, the Dhamma hall, and there was probably 60 people, but you cannot talk to anybody. You know, you, you know, I, I had a, uh, a roommate. You can't talk to anybody. That's kind of like, it's, they call it noble silence. And the whole deal is okay. If you're trying to get into your mind and get into your psyche, like you can't be having conversations. You don't have your phone, you have zero contact with the outside world. You're just, you're stuck with yourself, man. And it's eye opening. Um, and it is so damn hard. Like I remember day three, I'm just planning to like make my escape. I'm like, okay, how am I going to get back to Calgary? How am I going to get my phone back? You know, the the craziest things come into your mind, but you know, that's just your ego talking and that's not you. That's not what you want to do. That's what your ego wants to do. And you just, you grind through it. You, you breathe through it, really. And, um, yeah. Um, so kind of going back from the waste uh, to, you know, that that's what I figured I needed to fix, you know, kind of my my self-awareness or my mental state and, and how I could be present. Um, you know, that that's kind of what I did. And um, I also looked at it from, like, a practical standpoint. Okay, you know, what, what skills do these guys physically have that I'm lacking? And it, it came down to, I need to hit more fairways flat out. You can't be playing from the rough out there when it's firm and the rough's long, you, you got to hit the ball in the fairway. If you hit it in the fairway, especially at, at TPC Scottsdale, if you hit it in the fairway, you can score. But if you're playing from the rough all day, uh, good luck, bud. You're, you're probably going to make some bogeys and uh, it's going to be a long day for you. Um, and just like the little minute differences, like lagging the ball to two feet instead of, you know, four feet or whatever. 
I mean, I remember this leg putt uh, Carlos Ortiz hit on 17. It was like 100 feet. And like it was one of those putts where you could, you could putt this ball in the water, no problem. Yeah, that's the and that's the drivable par four right after the, uh, the the crazy par three where everyone's hitting driver three wood and what was a pin back left and he just was just barely on the front of the green. Exactly, it's all the way in the back left and uh, and he just casually gets up there and rolls it up to like three feet. I'm like, you know, I'm looking around at these thousands of people i'm like i don't think there's anyone here that realizes how damn good that was but that's just that's part of the gig you know that's what you got to do and um you know so i, I kind of looked at it from from all different angles like okay from from a mental aspect where do i need to be better from a physical aspect where do i need to be better and um, i think I, I took a lot away from that experience that's going to serve me long term all right, so you get the taste of the PGA Tour life at the Waste Management this year. Um, you, you mentioned that you tried for U.S. Open, didn't get through local. So just to kind of get an idea of what your plans are for the rest of the year and what is it, what it is moving forward that you're looking to do to get you ready for WebQ School, can you just briefly run through for the listeners? So we're recording this basically the, the middle of May, and, uh, you know, what does the next three to four months look like before you get to, uh, you know, web Q school? So the Latin America tour breaks in the summer. It just, that's just the way they designed it. So this summer I'm going to play uh, a bunch of mini tour stuff back up here in Canada. I'm, I'm hopeful that I'll get a couple of PGA tour Canada starts, but basically in, in this season, you're just trying to keep your game sharp and you're, you're trying to a make some money, um, you know, trying to stockpile it away. And then, you know, like you said, get ready for web.com Q school in the fall, because that's where, that's where things can happen. You know, you go to web.com school and, uh, it's kind of like the job interview. Uh, you you know, that's where, that's where you can, you can really get to where you want to go. So for the next couple months, it's, uh, money-making season and, uh, I might play some state opens, some, some stuff like that I'm, I'm, I'm actually literally today is kind of where i'm piecing together my schedule i'm trying to get all my loose ends tied up and uh i'll be going forward like i said hopefully get a few mcdims tour starts but uh just continue to work and um prepare for the fall latin tour will probably start up they haven't released the schedule yet for the fall but i imagine it'll start up in september at some point that's when it was last year pretty good chance i'll be going back down there for that hopefully get on through Q school and move on to bigger and better things. That's awesome, Blair. Well, you know, I know that our listeners really do appreciate you being so transparent and so honest about what the life is like and what you're trying to do moving forward. Uh, I love, I love this. I'm never going to forget the scorpion uh, story. Uh, that one's, uh, <laughs> that one's, that one's definitely a, an all timer. So uh, definitely we will follow you on, on social media. I will put the links to all of your social media channels in the show notes of this episode and uh yeah wish you the really the best of luck moving forward and i know everyone will be kind of paying attention uh, during web q school time and i hope we can do this again soon yeah i'd love that ben that'd be uh, a lot of fun and you know hopefully we'll uh we'll have some good stuff to talk about uh again and uh hopefully not any more scorpion stories no, no. but next, uh... <laughs> next year we're talking about web and pga tour stories <laughs> i like that that sounds good to me 
And there you have it, another great episode here at the Back of the Range. Special thanks to Blair Hamilton for joining us this week. Mojo is activated for you, sir. Good luck the rest of the season. I hope you all enjoy the U.S. Open. Don't forget, go to our Instagram page at the Back of the Range Golf Podcast. We have a contest. We're going to give away some free stuff to the winner. So go ahead and take care of that before the first round starts. And as always, we will see you again next week for another episode here at the Back of the Range.